0: On today's webinar, we'll discuss the topic, how to implement anti-racist ministries, how to implement anti-racist ministries. And the goal of this webinar is to help you as you begin your journey, or as in you're in the middle of your journey, help you think about what I can do, where do I start? Who do I talk to? And so today we brought a very special guest speaker with us, the Reverend Dr. Giovanni Arroyo. He is the General Secretary of the General Commission on Religion and Race for the United Methodist Church. He's the lead official of the denominational agency that cultivates racial inclusion and full participation of all people into the work, witness, and the life of the church. He has a Bachelor's of Arts in Psychology and Sociology from the City College of New York. He has a Master's of Divinity from Wesley Theological Seminary, a Master's of Science in Management from the University of Maryland, a Master of Arts in Clinical Mental Health from the University of the Cumberlands, a Doctor of Ministry on Transformational Leadership in the Wesleyan Perspective from Wesley Theological Seminary in partnership with Cambridge University and the Methodist House of Studies in Cambridge, he's from United Kingdom and a Pastoral Care Skills Certificate from Blanton Peel Graduate Institute of Mental Health and Religion. Try saying that 10 times fast. (laughs) Uh, He comes with us with a lot of experience with a heart for inclusion. And I'm very excited that he's gonna be leading the conversation today. So Dr. Reverend Dr. Giovanni, um, the floor is yours.
1: Thank you, Erwin. Thank you everyone for joining us in the midst of this hurricane relief and trying to just navigate all that is happening within your conference boundaries. My prayers are with you as you lead in this time of healing and Restructuring and regrouping as a church. I want us, as we talk about anti racism, you know, I think I, I was thinking about going back to one of the most basic things that I remember that many times we forget as United Methodists. And it's our book of discipline that one of our articles um, specifically reminds us of this work. And I just want to w- read briefly what it states as it helps us to think of why we should implement anti-racism ministries or task force or groups to address some of these issues. There's Article 5, Paragraph 5 in the book, in our Constitution. And it says, the United Methodist Church proclaims the value of each person as a unique child of God and commits itself to the healing and wholeness of all persons. The United Methodist Church recognizes that the sin of racism has been destructive to its unity throughout its history. Racism continues to cause painful divisions and marginalization. The United Methodist Church saw, and I love that word in the Book of Discipline, which means we need to do it, confront and seek to eliminate racism, whether in organizations or in individuals, in every facet of its life and in society at large. And the United Methodist Church should work collaboratively with others to address concerns that threaten the cause of racial justice at all times in all places. I use this because it reminds us that we as a denomination, as leaders of the United Methodist Church, we have already a commitment to addressing the realities of racism, how they are manifested in our own ministry settings, in our communities, in our own conference, and beyond the boundaries of your conference. We are reminded that this work of anti-racism is not new. It's been all along part of who we are called to be. But many times, we have not actually understood the complexities of what that means. As I think as we think about how we implement anti-racism work, I always want to invite you to start with the why. Why are you at this time engaging, working towards starting anti-racism work? I think we have to be cautious about it not being a checkoff for our work, but that there is a true understanding of the implications and the commitment that it has for us. So I think understanding your why is gonna be so important as you think about how you build your ministry. Many times, the why also helps us have a clear scope of how we're going to address anti-racism within the the parameters that we set. Um, As as, as we think about this, I think we also need to consider who is part of these conversations that we want to be part of as we think anti-racism as a pivotal or central value of who we are. Who's sitting at your tables of anti-racism? Who's leading the work? Uh, There is this notion in some some areas that because it's anti-racism work, we want to hear the voices of people of color, Black, Indigenous people of color, and how it impacts them. But at the same time, we could easily also fall into the place of putting, again, the burden, the time consumption on people of color to lead the work. Uh, and I think it's important to recognize that as a Black, Indigenous, person of color uh, who is already impacted day in, day out with the realities of racism in our society, adding the, then helping us how to navigate it, it's also taking away some responsibility for um, our white siblings to lead the work. There is a partnership, but who takes the lead? is an important question uh, for you to discuss as you think about how you're implementing your anti-racism um, commitment. I think one of the things that we need to be clear, and I think as you think about anti-racism, what does anti-racism mean for you? How do you define anti-racism? And I think a quick and simple definition for me will be like, anti-racism. by anti-racism, we mean, working against forces that sustain racism. And many times when we're addressing racism, we stay at what I call the individual or interpersonal level of racist experiences, interactions. For example, me and Erwin might have an interaction that may cause some racial tensions or or uh, that we with some other person, but we stay at that individual or interpersonal relationship, but we never get to really focus a lot in the structural or the systemic racism, which has been created through policies, through practices, you know, by systems that we participate. And I think to consider our anti-racism work Addressing those forces is really to focus more on the systemic, on the structural uh, reality, on the institutional patterns that have caused systems, practices, or behaviors that have hindered or disadvantaged communities of color, um, communities that are marginalized, which has benefited um, specifically white um, normative behaviors or communities. And so I think that's an important element to think about as you think about implementing your anti-racism groups is what systems are we wanting to address? What are the things in our community, in our context that really are barriers that really are impacting our communities of color In that we could actually start addressing um, so that equity could be experienced and that we could start addressing the inequities that are benefiting one group over another. And I think that's an important element for sometimes for us to think about. I think there is a tendency when I work with groups, uh, we have our laundry list because we are visionaries. We want to address all these different intersections of where race and racism has come into play in people's lives. But then we need to figure out how, where is the niche that we could first work on and really address it in a more systemic approach so that we could see impact in that area. And that's going to create a lot of conversations with people who are impacted. Now, this is important. I think part of it is the conversations you have. Like in the church, in my experience, sometimes it has been that we create programs, we create resources, we create um, all these other activities based on what we believe others need. But we have not really engaged with them to really understand if that's what they were needing. And then we wonder why, man, that was a good problem, but not too many people showed up. Well, were we addressing a gap? Or were we just providing something that they already have somewhere else um, being offered to them? And so as we think about being anti-racist ministry, we need to think about what system, what area that we think could be beneficial to the communities that we have direct connection if we to through based on our community needs um i think that's an important element as we consider that i think part of your first steps to doing anti-racist work is like you know understanding your why understanding your community understanding what are the systems that are already in place and you know we immediately go to the big ones like healthcare. You go to education, which there's a lot of inequities um, in those systems. Uh, But sometimes are things that we even do in our local churches. What are some of our policies that we have implemented or decisions that we have made that impact the community that we're serving, but that we have never considered to hear their perspective Before we made that decision, being an anti racist church will require us to take a step back and consider how we what we call racial equity impact assessments, which is a a tool that could help you in doing some anti racist work. And uh, and that's a whole different webinar, to be honest, but I'll give you a big scope of what racial equity impact assessment could help uh, anti racist team is really think about an area that you think there's inequity and then it engages what is the issue what is the data that we have what does what are some of the implications of that issue to what populations and then engaging those populations that are impacted by that area and hear their perspective how could this be different how could change of this policy or this practice be done differently that it will then change the experience that you have And you gather that information and then you start looking at how could we impact a change through a lens of racial equity because the voices of people who are being impacted are now incorporated in our assessment and analysis and then offer a way forward. Um, And I think that's an important piece that many times uh, we don't do carefully. And I think one of the tendencies of our society and human tendency, what I call is the the drive-through uh, phenomenon. You know what I mean. That is this instant gratification desire that we want to do things and immediately see change. But when we're dealing with systems and policies of inequities and even practices that we incorporate, but they're not written anywhere, but it's a practice of how we do things. It takes time. And so we must be willing to be in this work long-term, that it will take time to really get to a place where we can see a shift happening, but that we need to celebrate every little change that moves us to the direction that we are aiming for, which should be equity for all. Um, and so, I think, as another, you know, I'm putting my now, I'm going to put on my my hat as a mental health professional. Um, as we do anti-racism work, and as we engage with people of BIPOC community in this work, I think we need to be very attentive um, to how we not cause more harm to individuals or groups as we engage in this work. Our three simple rules are do good, do no harm, and stay in love with God. And there's sometimes good intent. We always have good intent, right? But sometimes the intent that we have may have not the positive impact. And so how do we engage these conversations, understanding the reality that many bipoc members have been scarred, have traumatic experiences who have increasingly they' don't, I, I, I share this, you know we've been living in a pandemic of COVID but after George Floyd we we are living in a pandemic of racism in this country and even more a pandemic of mental health because the racial, the microaggressions that BIPOC communities have been experiencing since George Floyd has increased so much. And so those microaggressions gets to a level that you keep compounding, 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 but you don't have a way to address them that could lead to racial trauma in the future. And many of us are not aware as BIPOC community members that that's, part of what we're experiencing sometimes. And so as we think about how we engage, being attentive of how we have the conversations in a way that we are not also creating more harm to those individuals and creating opportunities for people to be able to share what they're able to at the time they can. Uh, I think that's an important piece for us as we think about this work. I think as you now, this will be my last statement probably because as you think about the why, who's part of the group, how you engage with others, the systems that you want to address um, and understanding that there is racial trauma in some communities, then you need to think about how do we as committee members or people trying to implement this, get more clarity and get more educated in the do's and don'ts of anti-racism work. Um, And be attentive and goes back to intent versus impact. There might be good things that we think are good, but the impact won't be negative. So us taking the time to learn more clearly about the things that are not really effective strategies for anti-racism work, and for for that, I just just give you this example um, because you in, in, because Florida is in the midst of hurricane recovery, and talk about systems, right? Observe who will get support immediately from agencies and what communities have a harder time getting support or resources in the recovery efforts. There is evidence that BIPOC communities have higher challenges in getting resources in response to recovery efforts. We saw that through FEMA and Hurricane Maria. We've seen that through different experiences in how and where resources go and how are they divided out in communities. That's a systemic um, reflection. Hopefully it has changed. But that is a way of saying, okay, what is the practice happening here? Is there something that we need to be considering that now because of the practice or policy or, or how the system works, that has created a barrier for others. Um, and so I think it's important for us, as you, in this moment, engaging in the hurricane and recovery, how some of the systems might be showing how racism is implemented in them. And what does it mean for us to respond? And what does that look like? And how do we educate ourselves in regards to those systems or practices? Um, so I think we need to think about all these things as we engage in starting a anti-racism ministry group as, as leaders.
0: I think that's great. And I think it's, it's such good information and it's also very practical. And if anybody has any questions for Dr. Giovanni, Please share them in the, in the chat, share them in the Q&A box. But I have some questions for you. Um, you mentioned almost like a process, like a, like a five-step process. You started out with before you implement ministries, begin with the why. Why are you doing this? The second part was then who is going to be part of this conversation? Who is going to be part of this team? And, and do so, think about who you're going to have in your team with some boundaries in mind
1: when mm-hmm. you're not
0: putting all this on a person of color where you understand that a person of color is likely dealing with racial trauma mm-hmm. but i want to pause there and, and just ask you when or do we know that we have a good team is it some kind of like is it a white person and a person of color? Is it when do we know like, okay, this is the team?
1: Mm-hmm. If there was a great that's like A B A plus B equals C squared kind of thing, right? And we had that magic combo, I think the church would be in a better place. I think there's a lot of factors involved in a good team. I think it's important to understand that for me, I think about heart set, mindset, and skill set you know, um, we have to have the heart set of being anti-racist disciples of Jesus Christ. That's, if 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 we are to live the gospel of Jesus Christ and live our baptismal vows that we proclaim, then we should be able to come to this team as people who have the heart set to dismantle racism, who have a heart to address systems? That's an important piece. Um, I think people who are also have a mindset of thinking about what it means for us to be anti-racist. We could have the heart, set, but if you don't have the mindset, you know, we stay we stay stagnant. So we need to have people who are willing to learn or be able who already have some knowledge of how does, what is anti-racism? How does that go about? What are some things we need to do? What are some of the uh, racism that we need to address? And the skill set is like people who also have some skills. Not everybody's said but, but some people have some analysis skills, people who have organizing skills, people who have a sense of community and have connections with the community. Um, I, and I think as you think about this work more and more, are there community members who are not part of your church that you should engage with? You know, research has shown us that young people and want to be part of a church that is a church that's in action in responding to social justice issues. Uh, research has shown that. And so, are there young people who have a passion for this, who might not have this, the, the the whole spirituality of it, but have the skills and the heart set that because of that, and they feel that they're part of this group could then really help those in that group to see things from that perspective. Um, and I think in leadership, I think um, context is gonna be played a role. Um, it will be good. Sometimes it's good to have, sometimes for this work, co-leaders. Sometimes in your context, it might be one leader. But I think as a group, you need to figure out where people's strengths are and who are people who really are able to galvanize. This is really a work of galvanizing as groups to think about what are the realities that we're addressing. And then how do we going to be prophetic about it? I think one of the roles of this group is being prophetic. And what, what, what is hard is going to be being prophetic to your own church. Mm-hmm. Um,
0: so I think that's great advice, Dr. Roy. Hard set, mindset, skill set. And I, I, we have a couple of questions coming in here. I do want to ask one. You could just offer mm-hmm. a quick response. So we can get to um, some of the panelists' questions, but for the whole, uh, participants' questions. But a lot of people who come to these webinars are pastors in um, um, different cultural settings, right? Latino pastors serving in a white church, African-American pastors serving in a white church. Can, can we, how do we create an anti-racist task force to do anti-racist ministries in white spaces, in all white spaces?
1: And I'll be real quick in an answer to this. I have served 22 years in ministry, pastoral ministry, and most of them have been in cross-racial, cross-cultural ministry, what you are identifying right now. And so I think we need to have a different conversation because we don't want to put the responsibility in those settings on the pastor without having nurtured that congregation to even receive and welcome their pastor. There's a lot of that going on. And so I think there's a whole different conversation about what does it mean for BIPOC pastors in cross-racial, cross-cultural ministry, and how do they engage in anti-racism work? Because we don't want to place them in a place that they become a target because they has not been Further ground in that ministry setting, or there's still some suspicions of why that past has been there. And we could have a whole conversation about that. But I think it starts first for that congregation. I think it has to be about first building intercultural competency, understanding difference, acknowledging the difference. And then how do we respect those differences to move to some of the contextual responses? And some churches, they may be ready there. But I think because of that ministry setting, we have to look at other factors in our play.
0: That's great advice, great advice. Um, Okay, we have a question from one of the participants and I'll read it to you. In regards to dismantling racism as a conference, how do we close the gap between where conference leadership, bishop cabinet, boom, majority clergy is where most of our congregants and congregations are? How do we encourage clergy to really engage this work and lead their congregations in it? That's a question from Corey Jones. (laughs)
1: So let me answer the first part, I think, in regarding the conference and the gap between who we are as a conference leadership and how that translates to the congregation kind of thing, if I I get it. It might be interesting for the Florida conference, and I don't know if Florida did this already or not, but sometimes we need, sometimes we assume things without looking at facts and data, right? Have we done a annual conference audit of who is, the membership in terms of leadership positions in the Florida Annual Conference. Who are they? Not only who they are, but let's look at race, gender. Let's look at all these variables. Uh, what positions are being held by certain groups and all that at the conference level, looking from cabinet to boards of ordained ministry to trustees, to a connectional table, et cetera, et cetera. Et cetera, et cetera see who's in those leadership positions. And just gives you a snapshot. This is who we have leading us. And then look at who we are in congregations and in clergy um, leadership. And then that will help us see where the gaps are, Um, really in a very context way. Like we're no longer being subjected. This is what the numbers say. And once we look at that data, it might be okay. So how do we address some of these gaps and start thinking about, strategies for how we do it but i think the bigger conversation that will come out of that is when we are trying to do anti-racism work we need to talk about power and what does it mean to relinquish some power for some people and so i think to address that that will lead us to Where do we need to relinquish power so that we could have a better representation? But not only representation, because I think representation could lead to tokenism in some ways, in some places, but that people who sit at the table who have also power to make decisions. And I think that's a big piece in this kind of work. Um, The second question was, what was it? I lost, oh, how do we we do this work in the local church? Well, I think uh, we actually, and I'll share this with you, uh, the General Commission on Religion and Race, we are working on a six week Lectio Divina type of institutional equity Bible study as a very soft entry to get people to start looking at equity and, and stuff that way for us to ha- biblically engage in that. So I think one of the things for many congregations is how do we understand the culture of the church? Because people understand that, people have equated anti-racism work, equity work as circular work and not gospel driven. And so we need to be able to, again, address the disconnect that we have in some form and fashion created and start helping seeing that doing anti-racism work, doing equity work is part of our discipleship. Um, There is, there is also some resources on our, web, on our website that is called What Is? And like simple one-pagers that give a definition to a term, gives a theological framing, an example, and questions that you could do for groups just to start a basic understanding, foundational understanding of what it means to be backpack. What does it mean to be, what is, what is ableism? What is colonialism? What is um, migration? What is decolonization? Etc. 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 Those are being built, and there could be easy, short group conversations, but you're still on to build some consensus of some language, of how language is being used. Um, and I will invite you to all go to the www.gcorr.org website and go into the resources that are available there uh, as well. There's video series on. Um, for example, Robin D'Angelo, who's been a big you know, writer, she, she is um, one of the presenters for us. And there's a study guide, and there's a discussion guide for people, etc.
0: for that. Um, I think these are, this is all great, amazing stuff, Dr. Royal. Um, I wanna just close with kind of like giving you like a case study, okay? okay for you to to kind of critique a little bit okay so here i am i'm taking your advice i i started with the why got a good group with with me i began to realize that i'm part of the work is to change the culture of the church then i began to analyze what are the areas that change culture and that's bible study right Mm -hmm. leadership meetings so that we can all get on the same page so maybe we the new bible study will be on the biblical interpretation of equity that you'll put out mm-hmm. um and then maybe we'll do a little sermon series on it as we continue to change the culture of the church okay right we're going through hurricane relief we got to take into consideration the fact that people of color are have less access to resource so what we're going to do also is we're going to go into African-American minority um, neighborhoods. And we're going to ask the churches and those who are helping in those neighborhoods how we can help. What Mm -hmm. can our our church in this area do? And that's going to be our next steps. What do you think about that?
1: Let me first say, to change a culture of a church, uh, an organizational culture shift takes about seven years. It does not happen in one or two years. So we know what you laid out is the beginning foundations, right? A lot of education, Bible study, you know, some leadership conversation, sermon series. But then when it gets hard for that culture change is really how do we change who we are and how we function and how we do things. And so, for some organizations, it takes longer than seven years, for others could be seven or less, but it doesn't happen in a year or two years. I just want to put that out there. It's got to be very transparent because it takes a lot of work because a lot of the stuff that we do is it gets in a very think about an onion, you know you you take out the first layer. So first layer, let's talk about culture who we are then let's take the next layer. like what is the culture our community then the next layer, let's do some Bible study, but we haven't got to the heart of what it means for us to be an anti-racist church yet because we're slowly unpeeling things until we get to the tough conversations so that's the first thing i count to think about when i think about culture change i think you got the right team you have the culture and then you're ready to reach out and i think i did an important piece that you said is we're going to go out to these communities we're going to ask them how we're going to help versus we're going to go help them I think there's a shift right there, right? A mindset shift. We're gonna go, we're gonna offer, but we want to hear from them how we could be of service to you, how we could help you navigate. We need to be also, if we're gonna be anti-racist and culturally competent leaders, we need to let them lead. And they are our cultural informants to that community. So, so that we are not going there to also cause more chaos. Um, you know, and especially when it comes to this kind of relief, in other words, you know, I haven't I haven't done hurricane relief, I've done 9-11 in New York City as a chaplain and all the chaos around that. And you want to make sure that you're doing things that are not going to even cause more chaos in a very chaotic moment. Um, so I think that's a great practice asking. I think the question might be that as you do Bible study, is that where where are we going to start having the hard hard, heart-to-heart conversations of who we've been and how has that also limited others to be part of the church that we are. Um, And that's, I'll give you an example. I served a cross-racial, cross-cultural church that was built, that was created in 1901, Germany. And, it was a German-speaking church, everything was German, and World War II came in, they had to go to English immediately. And 100 years, 103 years later, they get the first Latino pastor. And it was a culture challenge. But it took me, I was there actually seven years, seven years uh, of a lot of hard conversations of who they were, acknowledging the history, but also, Projecting where God was calling us because our community had changed uh, And really what does what does that mean galvanizing to a new, to a new vision of community that's reflective of the mission field that we have is going to be important. and I'll shut up. Yeah
0: well no well thank you so much for your time today. And, you know I feel like these conversations are always the goal of is to spark a new ideas. To spark movement, to spark action, and you've given us so much to think about. Very practical, very helpful, and you know we will follow up with the racial equity impact assessments, the Bible study that you spoke about in equity, also even with the visions that we saw a pastor in the conference is doing, the visions kind of protocol that he uses for his churches, and we will follow up with everybody on our email list. So don't worry about it; you'll get all this information. Um, But besides that. I just wanna say thank you. You did a wonderful job, gave us so much to think about. And I hope that this really sparked some action in our, in our conference. So thank you, Dr. Royal. Any any closing words you wanna share with us?
1: Uh, I think the first thing I'll say is, may God continue to give you the strength to do the work that God has placed in your hearts. And know that it's not gonna be easy, but God will never leave us abandoned in this work. And so the other thing is know that you have each other and that we need each other to be able to combat the systems of oppression that we are part of. And lastly, know that as you recover from hurricane and all that is happening, that you are part of a connection of church and that we are here to walk along and resource you as best as we can, but know that there is great possibilities when we have these conversations collectively. And so thank you for the opportunity to be with you. And I'll say, for those who are going to your cross racial, cross-cultural pastors, Erwin, we have on November 16, Facing the Future Conference for cross racial, cross-cultural pastors, which is virtually. Um, And it's really being still as a spiritual practice. (laughs) Uh, where we have two United Methodists, an elder and a deacon to present, but who also licensed professional counselors and helping us navigate what that means in this time for us as leaders serving in contexts that are not from our racial ethnic communities. So I'll share that to you so you can share that with the group.
0: Yeah, please do. please do. Well, thank you again, Dr. Roy, and to, thank you to everybody who joined us today. And we'll see you next month, the first Wednesday of the month. Have a good day. God bless you.